to Cinebabble episode 20, a very special episode of Cinebabble where we are traveling back in time all the way to 1988. How are you doing this morning, my 1988 Clint friend? I'm fine. Um, it's going great, Ken. Are you feeling so, particularly young? <laughs> particularly young? <laughs> We're in 1988. Oh, the time warp? young? Oh, I didn't yeah. know we changed age, reverted. I just... No, we didn't. I was just oh, trying okay. to escape this corona nonsense. Oh. It's just, it hurts my brain. Yeah, it's painful. Yeah. How's it's life painful. in a sheltered world? <laughs> well, for me, not much has changed. I'm still going to work. And oh, man, you know that no, sounds so sad. I have no luxury of just staying home, and okay. my job's not shut down. Okay. So yeah, I, get, our, I just have to go out and survive it. Our jobs are not shut down either. We are diligently just plunging back into society, but all <laughs> looking at each other sideways like, do you? Do you? No, do you? <laughs> It's a whole lot of fun. Mm -hmm. And finding out more and more restrictions. Maryland is uh, really desperate to be like other states I've found. Just like, hey, I, 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 I want to be an important state. <laughs> so they keep canceling things once the big boys cancel things. Well, we're pretty close to D.C., so maybe they're just being a little... Is that how you think? Yeah. I just think Maryland's in this thing with Virginia, where Virginia's just like, no more than 50 people. And Maryland's like, yeah, no more than 50 people. You're right. I don't know. It's probably a good idea to do it. It's probably. Yeah. Well, I have never been so happy to escape <laughs> 2020. Uh, we are going all the way back to 1988 at the behest of the Sinatron. Um, did you enjoy your week with uh, 80s films? I think this is the best time I've had. Really? <laughs> Watching films. Oh, man. They're just like a lot of movies that I've meant to watch yeah. or wanted to re-explore, and it just gave me the excuse to do it, and I was like, I was probably smiling from ear to ear while doing it. Yeah, I, I had a ton of fun. Yeah. And I had so much fun that not only did I go and watch the three that, that we're going to kind of focus on tonight, I watched more. I know we already went up to four that we're going to kind of take a look yeah. at. And uh, just going back through some of this stuff, I didn't have time to watch every single movie, but some of them I would just pull up scenes yeah. and just reminisce. Like, yeah. oh, man. I, I started going through some more, and uh, if we didn't record a little sooner because of this dang virus, yeah. um, I probably would have done a ton more. Yeah, that same here. Yeah. So uh, I might still after. <laughs> I, I may too. I, yeah, I just spend the week, and it's an 88. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that'd be, I don't know. Mm -hmm. I, I have a feeling it's just, this is going to be on my brain for a while. So, mm -hmm. Clint, this week, what you watching about? Ken, um, so I know we're going to kind of go through some of our favorites mm -hmm. from the year. Yep. Um, but I did, one of the ones that I did get to that... Um, is from that year is I watched Naked Gun. Oh, okay. Um, the, the original? Yes, the original one okay. um, with Leslie Nielsen. And I don't know if I'd seen it as a kid. I mean, it, I was five at the time when this came out, so I can't imagine my parents let me watch this, and I can't remember if like some time in my teens I ever did. But I had a great time. Um, Airplane is one of my favorite movies. <laughs> um, it's one I'll put on at least once or so a year. And that just whole style of comedy that deadpan just straight faced no winking at the camera approach to comedy just cracks me up every time and just all the gags so yeah nelson plays a bumbly cop who's trying to stop this plan to um kind of <laughs> mind control normal people to kill the queen of england when she's in town and uh yeah it was great i, I thought it was i was 
dying the whole time. Now I know further Naked Guns. Like I, I don't remember the original. I remember twenty two and a half and thirty three and a third. Mm-hmm. Uh, did the original one? Was it more on that airplane level of comedy, uh, or was it more of a straight kind of just uh, cop comedy kind of thing? Um, it's got that sensibility of okay. airplane, but I mean, it is a cop comedy. Okay. But yeah, I, I, I haven't seen the other two, so I can't really compare what they're like. But I can't imagine they deviate too much. It's kind of their way of doing it. I just remember going to, I think it was 33 and the third in the theaters with my dad. Uh-huh. And I remember not getting certain jokes, but I remember getting the overwhelming sense that my dad knew there were jokes on the screen <laughs> that I should not be a part of. Yeah. <laughs> I could feel it. Like he would laugh and then look at me in pure guilt. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and as a kid, you know, like there's something on the screen I'm supposed to be understanding, but I don't. Yeah. His dad's giving me that look. Mm-hmm. Okay. So Naked Gun then. Yeah. All right. Uh, one of the ones I watched, I actually went back and watched Rain Man, oh. which <laughs> I've had on my shelf for forever. Yeah. But uh, I, I remember seeing it pretty early on and, and thinking it was very good. But I decided to go back and give it a shot. And I was just going to watch a couple of scenes. It's it's actually pretty good. It, mm. it holds up really well. There's a couple of little uh, sensibility things where you're just like, yeah, not in 2020. That wouldn't happen or that wouldn't happen. <laughs> Uh, but but otherwise, uh, Tom Cruise and Dustin Hoffman doing some pretty good stuff. It's a a pretty good story that definitely has a gimmick, but it it does its best to move past that gimmick and just kind of give you this story of these two estranged brothers and yeah. uh, and this um, kind of I guess everything Tom Cruise played was a hothead young maverick, mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and he does that here. But uh, he in a in a more natural way, kind of warms up towards the end and becomes a, a nice little human being. Yeah. I guess you kind of get cast for things that you've already done. Just yeah. they know you, you can do that. Like, oh, that guy can fill that role. Yeah. And then I guess it's kind of hard to break out of that, which he eventually does, I suppose. Yeah. What else did you get to this week? Um, that's really all. That was the big one. Yeah. I did. <laughs> uh, I've brought this show up numerous times, and I'll continue to plug it until maybe they give me some residuals or something. But um, <laughs> I totally love the show. Joe Parra talks to you. Jenny and I start like yeah. they finally put up all the episodes online because mm-hmm. they were releasing them as it was coming. And they would like on the um, Adult Swim app, they would like lock certain ones for some reason like i don't know why what their thought is behind that anyway so they're all free so we were watching those and it's it's a great show i love it Mm -hmm. this this was a year uh i realized when i started going over all the the titles and stuff Mm -hmm. which was um i i have these very clear memories uh, clearer memories than of watching the actual movies. I remember going into the video store, mm. uh, and man, if you're young and you never experienced the video store, walking in and hoping <laughs> that a tape was sitting there behind, yeah, uh, you know, an empty box so you could rent it and take it home. It, it was really colorful mm-hmm. VHS art, and I just remember going down the aisles, and I remember like big Bloodsport and Child's Play, uh, Fox and the Hound came out mm-hmm. this year. Uh, you like Dirty Rotten Scoundrels, correct? That's one of my favorite comedies. Oh, okay, that's probably going to come up in a minute. <laughs> I have I've never seen it. You've or never I, seen or it. I think what it is is I saw it so long yeah. ago that I have no memory. I think They're... right when I was allowed to watch R-rated comedies, or I started sneaking yeah. them, I think I watched it, but I'm not even sure if I saw a non-edited version. Yeah, I mean, I I wasn't allowed to watch anything as a kid, so okay. I. 
in probably my late teens when my parents were like fine with me having things in the house eventually i went through every steve martin comedy like he was my guy for a summer and still i love steve martin and that was one that like me and our, my good friend josh we would like just quote to each other is that keep the cork on the fork was one of our favorite lines ever <laughs> <laughs> this was also an era where I remember uh, later on when I started driving a lot of these movies from 88. I remember renting and sneaking home, like yeah. Serpent in the Rainbow, Zombie 3, which is an Italian zombie flick, mm -hmm. most famous probably for a zombie fighting a shark. Is that um, Zombie 3 or the first one? I Well, so in America it was called Zombie. Okay. Uh, yeah, in Italy, it was I, Zombie 3. Uh, okay. But here it was just, yes, the first one, but oh, it was actually oh, the third one. Okay. But yeah, that's uh, yeah, the... Yeah, I've seen that, but uh, I didn't know. know. Zombie mall, shark, shark mm -hmm. mall, zombie scene. Yeah. I which, think I have that one on DVD. It's it's ridiculous, but wonderful. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this is the year of Twins and Willow, uh, the Presidio, uh, which has Mark Harmon and Sean Connery. I... Uh, I, I have zero memory of yeah. what happens in that film. I just remember this was a movie that my mom decided to rent multiple times. And, <laughs> and we watched it multiple times. Oh. But uh, I don't know. And it was Land Before Time. Oh, yeah. Man, the yeah. animation this year. We'll talk about that in a little bit. But mm -hmm. just this huge slew of movies. And uh, I'm There's looking like at this list. There's like 30 of those movies. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh well, yeah. Of Land Before Time. There's this, there's this huge list of 88 movies. And I... Uh, I just could not get to nearly all the ones I wanted to see. Mm -hmm. You ready to talk about some favorites? Yeah. All right. So uh, do you want to go back and forth? Do you just want to do your list? We can go back and forth all if right. you want. Let's do that. Let's. Um, you want to do some honorable mentions and then kind of a top five? Um, or do you I don't just know. Have, I just kind of have a list. Just start I, spitting out those <laughs> movies. Just pop, 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 pop like sunflower seeds. Well, one of my... A terrible analogy. <laughs> Hmm. Go on. Okay. <laughs> uh, well, one, this is kind of like um, jumping the shark a little bit, not mm -hmm. the zombie shark, not yeah. fighting a zombie shark here. Fight but that shark. Yeah. Um, to what we're going to talk to you about in a little bit, but on my list for sure is Beetlejuice. Okay. Yeah. So I love it. And that's one I came to later in life. I, I don't think I saw it until a couple years ago, really, because mm -hmm. it was one I wasn't allowed to see. I think I watched a cartoon as I was like, when I was um, yeah. Yeah, young. But um, yeah, I might have seen bits and pieces here and there, but I didn't remember it. But it's, yeah. Uh, Bill Murray and Scrooged. Mm -hmm. uh, a little bit of a, a Christmas classic there mm -hmm. where he, he's a modern day executive that is, you know, kind of the Ebenezer Scrooge character. And there's a, there's a whole play within a play where they're putting on a production, a live TV version of A Christmas Carol. Yeah. And of course, he's visited by three ghosts and he's got to turn his life around. Um, that was one I didn't watch this week. I just watched this Christmas. I again, watched it too. Yeah. And I tend to go back to that one again and again. That was the first time I ever made it through it. Really? Yeah. There was something about it where I just, I was, it lost my interest. Is it the fact that Bill Murray feels like he is probably on cocaine? Because... It wasn't that. It was just, uh, he was nasty. Okay. His character. Yeah. And he, I know why, but it was just like, I like my lovable, um, Bill yeah. Murray. And it was just, yeah. I, I enjoyed it though. After I finally got through it. Yeah. All right. Uh, what's another one that, that you came up with? Um, well, uh, Last Temptation of Christ, mm -hmm. um, which I was desperately wanting to get to, but ran out of time before recording. Yeah, Martin Scorsese's Last Temptation of Christ with William Defoe. I mean, that's a team up that 
just can't be beat. Yeah. And it's it's not the movie that people who carry picket signs and want to rail oh, about no, it no. think it is. Yeah. There's I, I even remember at the time, I remember very vividly when that movie came out, mm-hmm. churches just lost their minds over this. And yeah. a lot of it was just uh, a very uh, misleading plot synopsis mm-hmm. or, or kind of an idea of what was in the movie. Or the, just the sheer fact they're doing this story. Yeah. 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 Well, and a lot of it came down to uh, the the little blurb about, well, in this movie, Jesus has a wife and people lost their minds. Right, and, right. And, um, you know, when you actually watch the movie and you see what they're doing, um, it's really, really interesting mm-hmm. um, and not at all what... Uh, every everybody was freaking out about yeah. it at the time. I remember news stories about that, <laughs> about entire just church congregations outside of theaters mm-hmm. uh, protesting. Yep. But yeah, very, very good. Uh, one of mine uh, going on the uh, the Defoe route is Mississippi Burning. Have you ever seen? Uh, maybe a long time ago. It's really good. Yeah. It, it, I just watched it again last year. It still holds up. And um, it's it's very sad. It's very kind of true to life mm-hmm. uh, from that segregation era, and uh, just some of the things that were happening in Mississippi in the fifties and sixties. Uh, and it's got uh, it's got Willem Dafoe. It's just a really solid drama. It's not you know it's 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 not going to wake you up and scream. This is the greatest movie you've ever seen. But uh, that's the thing I like about this like era of films. Is it's smaller stories, yeah. and they're like when we get to like they live, they're like wacky stories where it's like hey, I got this idea, let's do this, yeah. and you get. I mean, I think the budgets were a little bit less like than what they are now. They're not blown to these one hundred and fifty million dollar pictures. It's just like I will do it with what we have and be inventive, and um, I, I feel like it makes it a lot more interesting. Yeah, yeah, a lot of these movies, even the bigger movies, it feels like that. Yeah, uh, it almost felt like. Almost everything I watch had that spirit of last week we talked about Come to Daddy, like mm-hmm. these these smaller films that are just doing weird things, but that are so distinctly that filmmaker's taste and perspective right. and style. And it's all up to like the actors yeah. to get what um, is kind of in the script across. Yeah. yeah. And you can see the inventiveness and the practical mm-hmm. effects and you can see people really coming together not to try to make something photorealistic, but just how do I make something uh, visually yeah. engaging yeah. and exciting and mm-hmm. straight out of my brain and mm-hmm. my imagination. And yet it doesn't always hold up in the way we think of uh, things holding up, but it's just, it's, it's so much more uh, joyous mm-hmm. in the way it comes across on the screen. Yeah, I think to me it holds up better than what I think all the CG is going to hold up. I, I definitely agree. Yeah, I think CG ages in a very different way mm-hmm. than practical effects. Uh, even when you go back to old stop motion Harryhausen stuff. Oh yeah, you uh, can really appreciate more. Yeah. yeah, you're able to appreciate that more than going back and watching early CG in the Lawnmower yeah. Man. <laughs> <laughs> Enjoy that. Go back and watch the Lawnmower Man and tell me how much you appreciate early CG. It just it's not or there. the abyss, or yeah, I love the abyss, mm. but uh, the abyss is at its best when it's model work in miniatures. Yeah, but once that alien end. shows up, the water thing, yeah. yeah, it it looks a little rough. Mm-hmm. It um, oof, it looks like somebody <laughs> spilled something across the <laughs> the projector reel. The computer's uh, glitching out or something. Yep. Yeah. All right, uh, going into some of my very favorites, uh, Grave of the Fireflies. Mm-hmm. This is a movie I fear. 
<laughs> I've only seen it once. So. It's it's still devastating. Mm-hmm. Uh, it still hurts. <laughs> um, Sunday, I just I got it in my brain that like it can't be that sad. I'm gonna this go back and watch, to watch this a film thing. Like that. Yeah, I'm gonna go back. Virus stricken Maryland. I'm gonna go back and I'm I'm gonna give this thing a shot. And it's mm-hmm. not gonna break me. Oh, it <laughs> it breaks you. It's it's a beautiful haunting animated film. Um, but man. What a punch in the tear ducts yeah. this thing is mm-hmm. um, for an animated movie. Speaking of animated, one of my favorites is Akira. 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 <laughs> yes, Akira. Yeah. I love Akira. Yeah. And we can, contemplated doing that film, but mm-hmm. tried to stick to some that we may have not seen or yeah. remember it that well. Yeah, well, and great. Akira would have been a half an hour of me just gushing about I know. anything and yeah. everything. Yeah, was, unless we like really deep dived into the history of it and stuff, but I think it would have just been us gushing. So, yeah, um, that's what I'll do for now. For now, just say it's great. Yeah, it really is. It's it's such a it's one of those those movies that really fall into kind of a timeless category where mm-hmm. it doesn't matter when you watch. it. I didn't it. even realize it was from '88 yeah. until looking it up. I I could have I would have thought maybe early '90s yeah. or later '90s. Like who knows? But it's just yeah, it's one of those you just. Yes, timeless. For the last couple of years, they've been working on a 4K restoration. Oh, really? Of it that's supposed to come out, I believe, this year, hmm. and it's supposed to be gorgeous. Yeah, um, it's supposed to take it back to uh, the original, uh, all the the painting and and everything that they hmm. did straight out of the animation studio. Really? It's, it's like rescanned it all in and stuff. It's supposed to. I don't. I don't know about the exact process. I okay. just know it's restoring it to the most pure. Okay. Like, this is what it was meant to look like. Hmm. And I'm just, I'm really excited about that. They're not polishing it up. They're not taking okay. away its kind of filmic quality at all. Yeah, yeah. Um, they're just, they're really going back. And like, if you got first reel, first print, you know, opening night in Japan, mm-hmm. this is what you would have seen. And um, I'm, I'm just really excited about that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, one of my other ones, uh, My Neighbor Totoro. Oh, now, yeah. I have said My Neighbor Totoro possibly my entire life. Just like I say Studio Ghibli, mm-hmm. even though it is Studio Ghibli, mm-hmm. uh, I will never stop saying Studio Ghibli. And even after watching My Neighbor Totoro, <laughs> I still came away like, it's Totoro. It's definitely not. It's yeah. Totoro. This is such a, this is early Miyazaki, and it's such a sweet little story. Yeah. That's just, oh, it's 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 this little miniature fairy tale, mm-hmm. and I love it to death. It's about this little girl, or these two little girls. Sisters. And their dad. Yeah, their sisters. They're moving out into the country, and the little girls discover there are these little forest spirits. And that's that's about it. There's no, you know, evil warlock. There's no bad guy. No. There's no, Mm-mm. it's just the story of this family moving in and, and discovering that maybe there's something more in the forest behind their house. Mm-hmm. I just love it. Yeah, and Totoro is this like forest spirit yes. that they come and meet. Yeah. And befriend. Yes. Uh, and just the, the Totoros are adorable. I think there's <laughs> there's three of them. Uh, but oh, such a good movie. I um, Well, we already mentioned it, but Dirty Rotten Scoundrels mm-hmm. with Steve Martin and uh, um, what's his name? I, don't, I haven't seen this movie. <laughs> I can picture his face. Uh, Michael Caine. Michael Caine. There you go. Michael Caine. Michael Caine. <laughs> his name that has pause, an accent. Yeah. You can't say it without doing no. it. Um, yeah, totally blanked. Yeah, it's great. 
one of the best 80s comedies, I think. Is so, this this con artist kind yep, of going against each other, uh -huh. trying to bring each other down or to get the same Yeah, they're, right, right. And they, I can't remember if they both kind of fall in love with her and then they're kind of for her affection and trying to con her. Okay. And uh, it's great. Now, spoilers, if I remember, is she actually already a con artist or does she kind of become a con artist in the, in the course of the movie or none of those things? I, I, I can you catch me off guard. Okay. Yeah. I know I love it. I haven't seen it in a little while. I just threw out that little plot nugget. <laughs> you failed me, Clint. Hey, I didn't say I'm a I'm pretty authority sure on it. I can't I, even remember Michael Caine. Yeah. That was the worst. I remember the third act of that movie in my Vegas to Vague memories being about her turning the tables on them. And I, I can't remember. There might remember. be something like that. Or maybe they work together. See, I was going to rewatch that. We need, we'll just, we need to go and rewatch it. Yeah. Because, man, that's one to catch up on. Mm -hmm. 88 was also the year of the original Die Hard. Oh, yeah. And... Oh, I love Die Hard. Mm -hmm. I come back to Die Hard throughout the years. This is kind of action filmmaking at its best because it is average Joe and he can bleed and he can get hurt. And yeah, he's facing this uh, this extreme situation that requires an Uzi, but uh, it just, it, it still holds up. It's still well done. Mm -hmm. And uh, I just I love it's it. It's wild where that series goes, though. It really is. Really He's not is. quite the ordinary guy. No. So in Die Hard 1, you know, his probably biggest threat is glass on the floor. Mm -hmm. And he gets all Having cut no up. shoes. Yeah. By by the time you get to live free or die hard, he's just holding on to a Harrier jet wing. And I believe it's that one where he's on the, the wing of a plane that's going down over a bridge. And he yeah. somehow somersaults out of that. Is that the Kevin Smith one? I think so. Yeah. I never I saw so. the last one. Okay. I, I like the first three. Yeah. Even the second one starts to go much more into that crazy action movie territory. Mm -hmm. Third one brings it back to earth. But the first one just remains uh, a really uh, probably one of the better movies of the 80s just because it's actually got some heart and character and some humor mm -hmm. wrapped up in it. A pretty clever plot. Yeah. John McTiernan does a, a really good job with it. Do you have anything else on your list? Uh, no, not really. I have a whole huge list, but yeah, those are, that's that's good enough. I almost got the blood sport. Yeah. And the only reason I wanted to get the blood sport is I've never seen it. It's Jean-Claude Van Damme <laughs> and Donald Trump says this is one of his favorite movies. Mm -hmm. And he references it a lot. And I don't know how I feel about anyone in a position of power referencing Bloodsport. <laughs> yeah. is <laughs> one of their defining movies. That's very interesting. How to many me. films do you think he's actually seen? Three. Home Alone 2, which he, <laughs> he quote, stars his, in. His he scene. says he stars in. He it, saw his he scene. scene. And uh, Bloodsport. Yeah. And I'm trying to remember there was another one. Gone that with he the Wind. About. Well, he definitely referenced Gone with the Wind. I don't know if he's, he's ever never seen, seen Gone, Gone with the Wind. Yeah. So. But yeah, that's that's what we need in these trying times. We need like Donald like Trump's Hitch top ten films. <laughs> Will Smith dramedy Hitch. Melania made him watch it one evening. <laughs> you he know, fell in love with it. I no doubt, no doubt. <laughs> uh, all right, just a little bit of news before we go off and and kind of hit on some of our. Uh, interesting movies that we found in 1988. Uh, as always, if you want to write in and, and tell us what you found in 1988, you can go to www.cinebabblecast.com. Uh, you can email us there. You can email us at contact at cinebabble.com, or excuse me, cinebabblecast.com. Or you can find us all over the place, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook's a nightmare. Don't go there. <laughs> 
It's a hellscape. It's, yeah. It's just, <laughs> just avoid that place right now. Mm-hmm. On Facebook right now, you will find two kinds of people. People who think that all of these shutdown measures are the stupidest things they've ever heard of, and they're going to go out to their heart's content. And people who hate those people and say, please don't kill my grandma. Mm. And I just want to stay at home. You know, but don't kill the grandma. Ken. But don't don't kill the grandma. No. Uh, also, this week uh, we sent out our first official copy of Primal. Primal <laughs> is in the wind. I watched Primal. It's nuts. Yes. It really. It's it's kind of worth watching. <laughs> I guess. It was. Yeah. It was crazy town. Mm-hmm. Uh, it looks horrible, right? It really looks horrible. Yeah. It feels horrible. It's icky to watch. Yeah. You feel gross. You really do. Yeah. Uh, and speak of some CG. That oh. has already not aged well. Mm-hmm. Oof. Oof. It's like when you get home from the grocery store and realize that you bought the eggs expired. have already turned. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. I should have I checked these. Yeah. I did should not check, check the date. date on these. Nope. Uh, that is Primal. But Primal is in the wind. It is going to uh, a married couple. And both of them listen to us. Mm. And so uh, they're going to get the joy of experiencing Primal. And then hopefully they'll, they'll write back in and let us know what they think. And uh, I, I just sent them a message saying, take this and send it to the next person. Just make sure they then write in and let us know. Mm-hmm. I, I want to see how far this thing goes. <laughs> and maybe it dies somewhere over Montana. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, but They might be the end of the Well, they're in chain. Tennessee. I just, I'm, they're going to, they're going to. They're going to live up to this. Okay. That's fine if you They're going to succeed, and it's fine if you don't. Yeah. I get it. It's at least out of our possession. (laughs) (laughs) It's in the wind. The curse is all yours. Uh, We'll we'll see what happens. Yeah. And uh, maybe one day it'll come home to us, and uh, we can watch it again. Maybe. Please don't send it back. (laughs) (laughs) We'll stop doing this. (laughs) Out of principle. Yeah. Uh, Well, tonight we're covering uh, four... Uh, really good movies from Cinetron would be happy with us. Cinetron would be he very happy. He said two to three, and we're doing four. Yeah. And I, I, I even just there said very good. I shouldn't have said that they're all four very good movies. I should have said they're very interesting movies from 1988. They are not the diehards and the Akiras. They're not the things that, that you would normally think of with 1988. But uh, I don't know. Some of them are. One. One is. Maybe for some people the other one is. No, uh, I think Cinetron at least two or three 1988, of them are. And we were supposed to pick two or three films and run with them and see what we found. We we actually ended up doing four. The number of texts that went back between Clint and I trying to decide which ones we were actually going to talk to about uh, almost almost divorced us. Mm-hmm. But it was great. It was great. It was good fun. <laughs> uh, so first up tonight is Beetlejuice. And Beetlejuice is from director Tim Burton. Timothy. Timothy Burton. Yeah. Did it really say that? I didn't notice. <laughs> no, I'm just saying. That. Okay. I thought it was like such only to his Tim friends. He's like him. Timothy Burton. Mm-hmm. Timothy J. Burton the third. <laughs> uh, anyway, Tim Burton has put together this story, and it's about a married couple named Barbara and Adam, and that's played by Gina Davis and Alec Baldwin. They die in a car accident in their humble little town, and they find themselves stuck haunting their country residence, unable to leave the house. Uh, when the unbearable Dietzes, and this is Catherine O'Hara, and I, I believe convicted pedophile yes, Jeffrey, Jeffrey Jones. Jeffrey Jones, yes. That was uncomfortable. That's the fun thing about going through these old movies. It just really like, is. That guy's a pedophile. <laughs> that guy killed someone. Yep. OJ. Uh, when this family, the Dietzes, and their teen daughter, Lydia, that's played by a young Winona Ryder, by the home. Shoplifter. A shoplifter. 
the Maitlands attempt to scare them away without success, and their efforts attract Beetlejuice, played by Michael Keaton. Mm -hmm. And I mean played by Michael Keaton. Michael Keaton is eating film raw in this movie. He had the best time. Yeah. And he is a, a troublemaking spirit whose uh, quote-unquote help quickly becomes dangerous for the Maitlands and for poor, poor Lydia. Clint, mm. uh, what'd you think of Beetlejuice? I already said it. I love Beetlejuice. This is a movie that Jenny and I always put on a couple times a year and watch. It's one she loves. So we just both can hunker down and enjoy it. I, it's great. Did it hold up for you? Yeah. It really did. I love all Tim Burton's early effects and all that stuff. Before he went CG. Yes. Yeah. yeah, like the practical, yeah, just kind of cartoony goodness. Yeah, I, I really liked it. Now, what, how many times have you watched this movie? Like four or five times. Okay. Yeah, I watched it a couple of times a year, probably with Jenny. Yeah, this around my, Halloween, we always watch it. This was my first time with it. And and we went through, and the way we picked some of these movies that we, that we picked is because we either haven't seen them or one of us hadn't seen them mm-hmm. somehow. And somehow I had skipped past Beetlejuice every single time it was available. And by the time it it became this kind of classic and everybody talks about it, I just decided, you know, it's too old and visiting it, I wouldn't have the same joy that other people have had. I had a blast. (laughs) Oh, good. I I thought you'd hate it. No, no. It was so much fun. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, And the more claymation and weird it got, the Mm -hmm. better I loved it. Yeah. Uh, The deeper I loved it. Mm -hmm. And it was just, other than those moments where it was... Uh, oh, Jeffrey Jones. Mm. Luckily, he's not in it very much. He's not in it very much, but when he's being a dad to his daughter, it <laughs> it made it insanely creepy. Yeah. Uh, which, you know, it's it's a creepy movie. He's supposed to be a, a not great kind of creepy guy, so it works. Well, he just wants to hang out in his study and bird watch. Yeah, I'm really glad this wasn't a story of Jeffrey D- Jones' devoted dad to Lydia and what a great father. And, oh, look how he hugs her. And, oh, this is, mm-mm, mm-mm. Mm-mm. Run Winona. He didn't seem like a bad dad. No. No, no he didn't. Uh, but the, the comedy is kind of dialed up to 11 in this thing. And it's oh, yeah. as, as zany and wacky as it gets. Uh, and, man, just some of the stuff that Burton plucks out of his imagination mm-hmm. for this one, uh, especially when they're in the spirit world. Yeah. I love the waiting room spirit world. Yeah. That's so much fun. This is one where every time I watch it, I enjoy it more. The first time I ever watched it, I was... Slightly disappointed, like, man, Beetlejuice is not in this very much. And now I, I, like this time, I really enjoyed the pacing of it and um, get more out of the relationship in the, um, between um, Alec Baldwin and uh, Gina Davis. And so the early part doesn't feel as slow to me now. And so as it's getting zanier and the more the like crazy 80s practical effects like slowly work into the film, I enjoy it. Like it speeds it up, and I, yeah, I think it's really good. Yeah, yeah, and and I I was so invested in that married couple's relationship mm. and even their kind of attachment to Lydia as yeah. the movie went on that I almost wish her actual parents, well, her dad and her stepmom, were just so hideously evil that they get killed off, mm-hmm. and she's now being raised by ghosts in this house <laughs> by the end. Um, but other than that. Uh, it was just, it was such fun. And yeah. it was so colorful. Mm-hmm. Movies really have lost their their color palette yep. and their ability just to, to go Crayola and just play with stuff. I love that his version of the spirit world is this bright blue sky desert uh, with these 
strange yeah, worms. striped worms yeah. bursting out of the ground mm-hmm. and uh, even even when she goes into the afterlife or, or the the couple goes into the afterlife and there's just all of these strange spirits yeah uh, the ways they died and yep. <laughs> get run over by a car oh man the, the football team <laughs> yeah that's died in a crash but doesn't yeah. realize it uh-huh. all just in this waiting room mm-hmm. uh, that kind of stuff it yeah. was it was a blast um, one little uh, tidbit for this. Did you know that Burton wanted Sammy Davis Jr. to play Beetlejuice initially? No. That was his first choice. And then somebody had mentioned or he wasn't available, so they mentioned uh, Michael Keaton, and he saw him, and I guess it was... I can't like, imagine Sammy yeah, that Davis been, Jr. in this role. It yeah, would have been, been much wild. more... Huh. Mm-hmm. I can't even imagine what that would have been like. No, because he, he wasn't a very expressive, explosive actor, at least not in the way that this Beetlejuice character is, d- was the Beetlejuice character different in the original script? And Keaton yeah, well, really the, made it the his The movie, uh, the original script that he got was much, much darker, um, and it didn't have all the humorous beats to it. Like, it, there was, I was reading a thing, and they were describing, like, the car crash at the beginning, mm-hmm. and, like, it was really horrifying. Like, Gina, like, they mentioned it in this one, but in the in the final version, but Gina Davis, like, her arm gets crushed in the car, and she's screaming, and, and then, but they mention it in this when she comes out, and they're walking through the house, and she's like, oh, my arm's cold. Mm. So that was the only reference to that, but it, apparently it was just huh. really dark, and... Oh, also Beetlejuice in the original script, like he just wanted to have sex with Lydia. Like it wasn't the marriage thing. He was just like, I want to straight up just have sex with you. And uh, so they they just tamed all that down and made it more like enjoyable. Michael Keaton's great in this. Yeah. He's he's borderline grading. He pushes it so far. <laughs> he really is. Well, that's what um, works also with how he much he's in it too, yep. because it makes those moments just like this jolt of energy and if it was throughout the whole thing it would definitely would have been grating and that works for the movie because why in the world would you trust this thing mm-hmm. and it really pushes them to they don't trust him it's yeah. only in moments of desperation right. that they they turn to him yeah um and so I was I was slightly in my modern sensibilities frustrated with the mechanics of so if you call him three times he appears doesn't that now he's in you know he's in your employee, but then he's not in your employee, and then somebody else has to call him. And I was getting confused by that, but then I realized I'm just way overthinking this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, this movie was also made for $15 million, which I can't, I don't know exactly what that is today, but what I thought was really interesting is for the budget of all the special effects was only a million dollars. So the rest was actors and whatever production wow. costs there were. So it's just like all the stuff they do in that movie was for a million dollars. Like it's, yeah. Well, and that's including all the giant sets where it's the miniatures that they have. Oh, yeah. To all the claymation, all the, yeah, stop motion stuff. Everything was included in that. It's amazing I, what you can do with yeah. a budget like that. I really had fun with the afterlife. Mm-hmm. I, they could have spent even more time there. That was just such a, it really didn't add to the plot other than let's just take this tour of crazy. It, I like I like it because it gives the rules of what you're yeah. like, like what they're into. And I also really like the, um, them trying to scare them in the, the different links they go to with like morphing their faces and all that. That was stuff. a lot of yeah. fun. Yeah. <laughs> that was a lot of fun. So yeah, I, the funniest thing about this is I grew up watching the Beetlejuice cartoon when it was on. Uh-huh. I remember that one vividly. Yeah. And now I realize that cartoon makes so much more sense. <laughs> <laughs> I remember feeling slightly lost watching it when I was yeah. younger. But 
okay. Mm-hmm. You know, those little initial plot nuggets would have been really helpful watching mm-hmm. this series. So yeah, I'm I'm all about it. If you have never, like me, watched Beetlejuice, ah, this this is the time. Pick it up, watch it, uh, mm-hmm. rent it, and uh, it discover discover a little gem yeah. that you've been avoiding since 1988. It's great. <laughs> avoiding. Well, yeah. I was. Yeah. I don't know why. Mm-hmm. It's great. Yeah, it's great. So next movie we watched is a movie I had literally never heard of. I did not know this existed. And if you go to Amazon, it's listed as 1989 and 1990. It is not. It is a British film from 1988 called Paper House. Paper House is this dark psychological fantasy fantasy horror drama. And it follows uh, this young girl named Anna, played by Charlotte Burke. And she's a kind of obnoxious, lonely British child who begins to inhabit the world that she draws in her sketchbook. She has some sort of brain injury or, or she's, something she's develops. sick of some sort, some kind of sickness. They never really say, yeah. but she starts to realize as she draws things in her sketchbook, she can't erase it. And these things start to drag her into this dream world where these things become increasingly real. And uh, it starts with a house, and then she creates a boy on paper and uh, names him Mark, or he tells her her name is Mark. Mm -hmm. And then things get even creepier when she kind of draws her absentee father into this world. And her father's played by Ben Cross, who you'll recognize as uh, kind of a villain from a lot of different things, Excalibur, and I think he was in Excalibur. Mm. But he was was in a bunch of 80s movies at the time. He just has this very strange, gaunt face that works perfectly for medieval bad guy. (laughs) Generic medieval bad guy. Um, yeah, generic medieval bad guy. And so Anna just has to figure out this realm. Can she get out of it? Is she going to get stuck in it? Uh, Clint, what did you think of Paper House? Um, I had always seen this, like, the cover mm-hmm. was very familiar to me. And I it was one I was always curious about, but never, like, took a bite at. Mm-hmm. Um, but I really enjoyed it. I had a really good time really? with it. Um I definitely see some of the points you had mentioned to me that bothered you, but I was so thoroughly into the fantasy world and all of that stuff. It has this really strange, like German expressionist kind of feel to the house Mm -hmm. and how it just slowly gets darker throughout. Um, I think, yeah, yeah, it's got like some 80s problems with. Um, I, I, and you said it with the acting, but I think it was just the production. There was some definitely some like ADR issues where like they redid some of the acting voices. Maybe they didn't get good sound on set or something, and it just doesn't, I don't know, kind of stood out to me. But I, overall, I really enjoyed it. So this is from director Bernard Rose, mm-hmm. and he would go on later to do the original Candyman. And, um, and Immortal I, Beloved? And Immortal Beloved. Yeah. And Immortal Beloved's a very good film. Yeah. I, I still enjoy that a lot, and I still think the original Candyman really holds up. I, yeah, that's one of my favorite horror movies. Yeah. yeah. And and this movie was cursed with being compared to Candyman in my mind mm-hmm. the entire time. I almost wished I didn't know because I could see the very early building blocks of the style that he would later go on to play with in Candyman, which is another film that it doesn't involve a, a giant dream reality, but its main character is constantly being pulled between this stranger spiritual reality and uh, things that are happening in the natural world. And this one, it, it just it felt more rudimentary than Candyman. Mm-hmm. Candyman felt like a stronger realization of some of the things that he was interested in here. And this one for me, it I would love, love to see this movie remade. 
I would love to see, and I know you always I hate not, that. I would not. But this want to is see the that. exact kind of movie that I like to see remade because it's not a movie that's uh, revered and accepted as a classic. It it doesn't hold this kind of timeless place in my mind. It just has a really good concept and it has some interesting things. I think. But a lot of people do have this on their favorite of that year, like a hidden gem kind of film. And I, I think all the things that are are good in this film are really good. Like, I think all the fantasy stuff is really good. And I like that 80s feel to it. I like the I don't think you would be able to redo that in a way where it's just kind of a bad modern horror movie. And this felt like a building block for me to even like films like Pan's Labyrinth. Mm -hmm. I feel like he totally got inspiration from that. Definitely. But um, what you're saying about like the kind of hindered by the knowing that Candy, he did Candyman, I kind of did see it as like, it was fun to see like the building blocks of what he used from that, um, from this into that. So this I think one, this is based on a book too. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. A, a series of books. Oh, okay. Uh, I believe if I read correctly. And in, in this one, so this is this is one where it was a movie of two halves. Anytime she was in the fantasy world, I was locked in. It it creeped me out at different times. It made me jump once mm-hmm. or twice. And I, I thought that was a very effective. My problem was when she was back in the world, I did not like this little kid. Yeah. I did not like her mom, especially. Her mom's possibly the worst movie mom <laughs> ever. <laughs> ever. Mm-hmm. And uh, and then I also didn't like that this movie cannot decide how to end. It ends 17 different times. And its strongest ending happens in the fantasy world. Uh, but then the movie goes on for another 20, 30 minutes. And it just felt like it kept dragging at the end. It's like you don't you don't know where to roll credits on this. And my brain well, already I rolled think, credits when you know evil fantasy dad was defeated. Well, I think it, the director definitely saw it as the fantasy element being the secondary thing in mm-hmm. the story of this girl being more important. So that's why he continued on throughout that. And it was just, and I kind of liked that you got to see that her with her father and that he really wasn't an awful person, really. He was absent, like doing, working or whatever he was doing. But I liked that he was, he wasn't a monster. I like that too, but I just wanted to keep getting dragged back to like, oh, you thought you'd beat the fantasy realm. Nope, it's still there and it's darker. And mm. I, I wanted more of that kind of thing. I, I couldn't get a grasp on. I get that I was supposed to care about this little girl, but I have no idea why. <laughs> uh, if she was a particularly gifted artist, if there was something about her where she was a troubled child, but she's genuinely something special inside there, then I think I would have latched onto her more. Even with Pan's Labyrinth. There's nothing particularly special about the little girl except that she's a survivor and she's making her way through this war-torn region and just trying to keep her her head up and trying to deal with these very adult issues that are being shoved down on her. That drew me into her story so much more than this, where it's just a, a kid who causes trouble at school and gets detention and then has some sort of aneurysm. Well, I, I I didn't really mind her as much as you did. I I think the fantasy elements made me care for her a little mm-hmm. bit more, and especially like she's dealing with the possible absentee father, and like just like he's kind of saw it as her going through a hard time, and she's acting out like a kid would in that situation. Um, 
so I, I kind of was forgiving of that, but I, I, I thought it was kind of a hidden gem of a film, and I, I, there was a lot of elements that really surprised me, and um, yeah, I, I totally enjoyed watching it. I'm, I'm not upset that I watched it. I enjoyed watching it. I would recommend people find this thing. It was only three, four bucks on Amazon. Or you can be crafty like me and sign up for a seven-day subscription that's free on some random thing and then cancel it. That is how people sell their souls to Crossroads demons. Nope. They're just like, well, here's a free movie. This is a cheaper way to do it. I'll remember to cancel. Whoops. Well, not all of us are like you and have to cancel <laughs> all our credit cards to get out of those kind of situations. I will never live that down. No, and, and you I should still not. Hold, I still hold to it. You'll never break me of that. That's fine. Uh, I'll still think you're I insane. was just <laughs> checking my check card the other day, looking at different things and thinking, is it time? It might be. Well, give me a warning when HBO's canceled. <laughs> so Beetlejuice, uh, definitely revisit. Paper House, go discover it. It's it's well worth the discovery, but um, we kind of split on that one. Next up is uh, John Carpenter's They Live! Exclamation point. Mm-hmm. And wow, does he fully embrace that exclamation point <laughs> at the end of They Live! Uh, and you know it has to because he casts wrestling sensation Roddy Piper, mm-hmm. Rowdy Roddy Piper, yeah. in the lead role uh, of a wanderer. And listen to this plot synopsis. This is so deliciously 1980s. Yeah. I don't think you can come up with a plot synopsis that is more 1980s than this. Uh, Roddy Piper plays a wanderer without meaning in his life who discovers a pair of sunglasses that allows him to see the way the world truly is. As he walks the streets of Los Angeles, he notices that both the media and the government are comprised of subliminal messages meant to keep the population subdued and that most of the social elite are skull-faced aliens bent on world domination. Clint, what did you think of? Because you had not seen this, correct? Um, well, I have a small personal story about this film. What did you think of They Live? Um, I really like this film. <laughs> I, I did. I love John Carpenter films. This is one I just missed and hadn't got around to. Um, I love every cheesy aspect of it. I think every element by the end, even the sunglasses, totally makes sense to me. <laughs> I like it. Um, so yeah, I was gonna say there. This is a. I have a story involving your wife with this movie. Okay. Um, this you is probably don't remember this, but at one point in my youth, I was probably in late high school. Okay. Your wife had free tickets to go to King's Dominion. Okay. And she had. You were like working or something, so I ended up going with her, <laughs> okay. and we took a bus. There was a, like a bus. This does not sound like my life. It's you, I did. You took a bus with my wife to King's, to King's Dominion, Dominion, which is a theme park. Yeah, because I ride roller coasters or did at the time. So <laughs> she's like, "Okay, you want to go?" Yeah, because she loves roller coasters. Yeah, so we went and rode. But while we're driving there on the bus, they're showing this movie. <laughs> they live. So you had watched. But only a, I only remember a small portion of it, and I think at some point I tuned out or like they turned it on like halfway through, so I never okay. saw all of it. So it's just what I, a weird story. I Clint. know, <laughs> and I remember it like that's. I just like when I think of they live, I think about going to King's Dominion with your wife. Weird sentence. Okay. <laughs> I did not even remember this was a thing. Yeah, I used to work night shifts at this place. Yeah, uh, at this call center, I was a I was a quote unquote manager. But um, <laughs> so yeah, back to they live. Okay. I uh, I thoroughly enjoyed it. I thought um, Roddy Piper was fantastic in all the cheesy '80s glory, and uh, 
Yeah, I know. What what did you think about this? So I watched this last year, and it must have been a dreary night <laughs> where I was feeling just kind of down on the world mm-hmm. because I watched this out of curiosity. I'd seen it a long time ago, but I watched it, and it just something about it irritated me and, and grated my nerves. And I walked away from it thinking, yeah, whatever. Um, but this week I knew, I just knew Clint's going to love this thing. Mm-hmm. So I owe it to Clint to give it another shot. And it is, it's, it's fun. It's cheesy. It's, it at least embraces what it's trying to do. I, it's purposely um, supposed to be because it's dealing like there are throwbacks like the 50s sci-fi yeah. in it. So it's not like trying to be like the cutting edge of technology as far as like special effects and stuff. It's like I think it knows what it is and it's totally playing into that. It's a much better version of what I think Tim Burton was trying to do with Mars Attacks. Yeah, it, for sure. Um, it just it, it has a better style to it. And Piper's a better actor than you would think. I thought he was fun. I liked him. He did well. And, and especially uh, with that, um, the seven minute fight scene in the middle, like that <laughs> with David Carradine. Yes. And that was, <laughs> yeah, Keith David. Oh, sorry. Keith yeah. David. Sorry. Yeah. David, David Carradine. Carradine. That would be really completely different fight. Yeah. That'd probably be good too. Well, maybe. But with Keith that, David. W- that was a scene where I was like, oh, this totally makes sense why he was cast. Yeah. Before it was like, oh, maybe he was friends with him. But it was fun seeing like John Carpenter saw something in him yeah. and that he used his strengths in the film. Well, and this is a very, very different movie than Carpenter's The Thing. Oh, yeah. Both of these came out in the 80s, but they're they're on complete opposite extremes of, of, the, of the spectrum. Yeah. The Thing was, how do we take this down and really make this world where there are these normal people, these working class guys who have to face this extraordinary nightmare almost pulling out of that and saying, you know, what would happen if there was actually uh, some sort of invasion and what would L.A. look like in the midst of this with one guy who knows about it? Mm-hmm. And it's it's such a more satirical take. You can feel him not winking at the camera, but you can feel him playing with Hollywood right, and right. playing with uh, the, the kinds of things that, that L.A. represents, especially at that era. Yeah. And he's really just kind of having fun with that. Yeah, it's kind of more in line with like Escape from New York or mm-hmm. something like that, yeah. where you're having fun with the genre and not trying to be super serious with everything. And I think because Carpenter did the thing, and that was my introduction to John Carpenter, I spent my early years uh, with his um, with his films kind of comparing everything to the thing. Yeah. And thinking, oh, this is just cheese ball compared to the thing. Oh, this is just kind of campy compared to the thing. And I think I did myself a disservice yeah. by not opening myself to what he was actually working with and playing with and he's a fun guy. Yeah. And I think I just I missed that somehow. Yeah, because you can do both things. Like he, yeah. both things can exist. They don't yeah. have to be like um all uh, super serious and like it, it can be different genres of science fiction and playing with those and yeah that's also something that i noticed when going over all these 80s movies that i feel like we've lost in some ways i yeah i think directors and filmmakers really get kind of oh chris nolan is a sci-fi guy oh martin scorsese is a criminal drama guy and and it it really you can look at their work and realize that they're working to pull away from that and mm-hmm. to, to play with that if they're a good director 
but uh, it just feels much more like Hollywood is in the system where, what do you do? Okay, right. you delivered on that once. Now I need you to do that again. Yeah. Thank you. Do that three times. Well, it's the same thing as like what I again. said about um, Tom Cruise. Mm-hmm. Like he he was probably cast as this his like um, cocktail mm-hmm. that whole era of his acting. Like because like, we we know you can do that. But yeah, the same thing happens with directors. Well, and if I've got um, a, a script for a hothead maverick, and yeah, I want to spend ten million, twenty million on somebody, right? And I'm going to pay for Tom Cruise. I want Tom Cruise to do that thing he did in Top Gun, but now he's going to do it over in this movie. And don't tell me that you want, uh, you know, the artistic integrity to experiment and try a different kind of character. I'm paying for hot-headed maverick Tom Cruise. Mm-hmm. This film was made for three million dollars, mm-hmm. which is really impressive. Yeah. I think yeah. it's like the whole thing. Like you, you're getting so much out of that budget like all the it's inventive and like that's the thing it's the epitome of of invention in film because it's how does he see the aliens i don't know sunglasses just write me and 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 they build it in it's not makes sense by the end especially Mm -hmm. with how like it's with the aliens it's kind of like this cloaking device Mm -hmm. that's being broadcast out over the airwaves so like when that's brought down Mm -hmm. so like it's like these glasses can see through that and it makes sense it's like it is cheat like silly kind of at first but like it it totally works and it's it's fun but it's baked into the script yeah yeah you know what i mean they came up with the initial idea and you know it was budget driven Mm -hmm. how does he see them Sunglasses. Yeah. Sunglasses are cheap. We can get a couple of pairs of sunglasses, and even if he breaks them in his fight with Keith David, just throw him another pair of sunglasses. Yeah. But from that, it's okay. Now, how do we justify this? How mm-hmm. do we make this real? How do we? Uh, and I just, I always, I love that. I appreciate that. Yeah. That's so and much I, fun. I really enjoyed the how he finds it, mm-hmm. like because he's kind of this wander drifter, and meets up with this other group of. Um, like in a kind of little community of other uh, like homeless people, but just not well off. And Enough where it can really play with the class warfare. Yeah. Because these aliens have filled the elite roles. Why would they ever take over uh, kind of these people that are beneath them? But right. It's the people that are beneath them that have to see the inherent evil and do something about mm-hmm. it. And that's, that's such a class struggle uh, theme that while it was very – kind of important in the 80s it still rang true it's still yeah you know the classes have always been at war yeah and that that theme will always permeate stories and be kind of timeless and so that that elevates this Mm -hmm. as well and i I really did enjoy like kind of the -the over-the-top nature of like the messages that he like finds underneath (laughs) of all the advertising it's just so on the nose and like it feels very 80s and almost like has this like like a punk rock mm-hmm. attitude towards it. Like the man's like just wants us to spend our money and stay silent and all that stuff. And it's just so on the nose. It's fun. Yeah. And just, yeah, it kind of reminds me of, um, uh, oh man, now I try to talk and I, Totally okay. leaves my my mind. See, you edit this thing, so you can just go back and pull out all of this, <laughs> and you sound like a film expert. You're just like pat, pat, rat, tat, tat, and uh, yeah. And now, thank you for that. Now I, I totally jog my memory. Repo Man. <laughs> <laughs> so you just cut right to Repo Man. <laughs> now I'm just keeping all those words. Perfect. So Repo Man, like it has this punk rock like attitude. I, mean, mm-hmm. I can't remember that was from the '80s. I can't remember yeah. exactly what year, and it just has that kind of feel. Yeah. And I would totally a double feature with that and this would be a great time. Yeah. 
Um, yeah, the it was based on a short story by Ray Nelson called Eight O'Clock in the Morning. Mm -hmm. So yeah. it's fun knowing that there was some source material that this was drawn from. Yeah. yeah. Well, and I, I love that's one of the other things I love about this this era of filmmaking is you know that John Carpenter, somebody was just like, you got to read this short story. It's nuts. Yeah, yeah. And he read it and he's like, I can make a movie of that. <laughs> and he found some people to give him a couple million dollars. He found some crazy wrestler and they just, you know, yeah, I think, just shoot it right in the middle of LA. Yeah. From what I read of it, it's not, there was no like sunglasses or anything. Mm -hmm. It was uh, like a guy gets hypnotized at like mm -hmm. a hypnotist. Oh, that's uh, so much worse. Yeah. And then like wakes up and he's, he can see that there's like these aliens. That would have been faster to the point, yeah. but it, it would have lost. It's like a short story, but yeah. like I like the how it. Yeah, I do the too. sunglass element in this. Yeah. All right, so a little bit of a roll for you: Beetlejuice, Paper House, and They Live. You're having a good time. I Paper am. Paper House was the only one that didn't quite register with me, but it was still worth watching. I think I'm a little more forgiving of films from. You like, really are. I love films from this like oh. time period, just because I don't know. I just I do. Yeah. There's and there's also like just going back and watching all these films that are made on film, actual film is so like because they all have this quality. There's this real softness to them, and it like just lulls me into this place of like comfort. Yeah, and for me, I get that softness, but there's also the you can tell that these are hand edited. Yeah, they are cut and yeah. pieced together. Mm -hmm. There's a herkiness and jerkiness yeah. to to kind of the style that I think. Um, I think that's one of the things that they keep distracting me. I oh, think I've okay. become too comfortable with the smooth, uh. nice, clean edits. Everything functions really well. And, and you really get the sense of, of people kind of in a back room cutting, taping, piecing it together. And it's it, sometimes, you know, a scene goes on two seconds too long or it suddenly cuts short or different things like that. And that... That tends to make me aware of the fact that I'm watching a movie. Oh, so I, I, I don't mind that. that at all. I like that it feels like it was made. Somebody made this. It works better for They Live. It works better for Beetlejuice for me than it does for something like Paper House. Mm. You know, when it's when it's going out there and really embracing style and, and zaniness, and it that doesn't distract me as much. When it's trying to draw me into a character drama, that's where those little things. And I wish I could turn that off in my mm. brain. Yeah, I don't have that. Yeah, oh, oh, I'm so jealous of you. I'm sorry. Our fourth movie tonight, uh, our last movie, is a comedy classic, A Fish Called Wanda. And this is on AFI's top comedies of mm. all time. Uh, this thing is still killing on Rotten Tomatoes. Uh, Ebert gave it kind of a perfect score once upon a time. And uh, this thing has been kind of talked about for a long time. I had never seen it. I believe you never saw it nope. either. And it's uh, it's just about this British gangster named George Thompson and his hapless aide, Ken Pyle, and that's played by Michael Palin. And they draft a pair of arrogant Americans, uh, Wanda, played by Jamie Lee Curtis, and weapons expert Otto, played by Kevin, Kevin Klein. I love Otto. Yes. Uh, they are just going to do a massive diamond heist, but when the job goes badly, Wanda attempts to seduce George's stuffy lawyer, Archie, played by John Cleese, mm -hmm. uh, to find out where George hid the diamonds. Clint, what'd you think of A Fish Called Wanda? I love The Fish Called Wanda. Yeah. Yeah. I had the best time. Kevin that Kevin Klein's performance in this film is probably one of my favorite performances yep. I've seen in a long time. Yep. And if I had seen it at that point, I would have just been, I wish I had, because I would have just been like one I had gone back to for years, because yeah. it's it was so comforting to watch. Um, yeah, his and uh, Jamie Lee Curtis is great in it. 
she's red hot coal in the middle of this film. She just <laughs> I laughed out loud so much during this mm-hmm. movie. And it was that surprise kind of laugh where it just suddenly comes out of you. Yeah. And you didn't you were not ready for it. You were not prepared to uh, enjoy the film the way you're enjoying it. I was just completely taken by this thing yeah. the whole time. I love the characters. I loved the tone it hit. I love the jokes. Uh, it just uh, it was like a proto Knives Out yep. for me. Where yep. like I had the the time I had with Knives Out is what I had with this. Like I loved every character and was totally in everyone's corner almost. It's like, oh, I want Otto to uh, to succeed. And no, I want uh, Archie to succeed. And yeah. <laughs> well, this is a movie, it has two pythons in it. Yeah. It's got Michael Palin and it's got John Cleese. Mm-hmm. But the funniest thing on the screen is Kevin Klein. Yeah. That's, sure. that's amazing to me. I know. Uh, these comedy legends, but it's this, it's this new kid mm-hmm. uh, with a, you know, man, what a head of hair. <laughs> Um, well, I, I don't know. I think I've mentioned this before, but um, Jenny and I watch religiously um, the show Bob's Burgers. Mm-hmm. And Kevin Klein, he plays um, Mr. Fish Odor in that show. He's mm-hmm. like the voiceover artist for that character. He's like the um, um, landlord for where the burger, um, st- the restaurant is. Mm-hmm. And he is just as funny in that, too. Yeah. And just to like, see him like at this point in his life yeah. and just how funny he is. He's really quick. I remember yeah. an episode of Inside the Actor's Studio with him. And man, does he have a wit. And physical. Yes. His physical comedy is yeah. so funny. There's that moment where he... Uh, it's I can't remember what point in like the heist. It was like right after the heist where he gets mad and he kicks the car. And yeah. he does that double jump kick thing. <laughs> and I like... I out loud was just yep. like so giddy at that. Well, and I'm already there's there's a couple of movies that do this um, but I think this one does it possibly best. It's that you've got these very stuffy and polite Brits and you've got the loud brash Americans and let's see what happens there. Yeah. It's such a fun kind of culture war to play with mm-hmm. and it works every scene. Mm-hmm. Like I said with um um they live how it would be a good double feature with mm-hmm. um, Repo Man. This would be a great double feature with Dirty Rotten Scoundrels. Like you should definitely watch that after watching this I be- need to. because that's kind of almost a similar premise where Michael Caine is kind of this stuffy con man mm-hmm. and Steve Martin's kind of the Michael or um, Kevin Klein character a mm-hmm. little bit. It's a little bit more zany than this, uh, but. It would be a good double feature. This one, I just loved how I never knew where characters were going to align. Yeah. In constant flux. Yeah. You didn't know. And you didn't even Who's really. Who's double crossing who? And who was double crossing who? But you didn't know where you wanted them to end up. Right. So you were fine with them ending up wherever. Yeah. It just, man, keep keep letting me have fun. Yeah. Uh, it was it was, it was, was such a good time. Mm-hmm. Now, there's also a sequel or a, it's not a, a direct sequel, but it's kind of the same team. They came together and did a movie in 97 called Fierce Creatures. Uh-huh. And I watched it at the time, and I have no memory of it, and I didn't go back. I John Cleese, did he write that one, too? I think so. And I'm, I'm really tempted to go back and watch it, but I'm pretty sure I remember even at the time people saying it wasn't Fish Called Wanda. Yeah. It didn't live up to that. But I think I'm going to go back and check that one out, too. Mm-hmm. Fish Called Wanda already kind of ordered a physical copy that is going on my shelf, and this is one I'm going to come back to. Because yeah. 
it just it put me in such a good mood. It's on, I think, my list of comedies now where when I'm just having a not fun day, mm-hmm. that's that's a keeper that I wouldn't mind throwing in and just brightening that COVID-19 stupor. <laughs> <laughs> that was the biggest thing about this week. And, and maybe the 80s or a simpler time, maybe I've missed that. But all four of these movies engaged me in a very different way mm-hmm. than movies recently have engaged me. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, and it, it, there was just there was that you've already said that sense of inventiveness, of of innovation that you know we're we're practically building this in our garage for all intents right. and purposes. And there's like this, like simplified, boiled down story in mm-hmm. it that where like the characters, especially like in a movie like this, they mm-hmm. can really like shine and like do their best work. So they're not really having to support a script that is overly complicated or just not very good like it, mm-hmm. the scripts are always really good and tight and so um yeah i mean i it does feel like there it was just so a lot simpler you know in not a bad way yeah. it was just a lot a cleaner of a straight line i would love to hear from 20 year olds as to how they react to 80s films mm-hmm. because i would imagine most 80s films get overlooked by that newer generation. For me, the 60s are that. You talk to me about 60s films, and I glaze over. <laughs> I have tried to watch, and there are some good things there, but it is just, it escapes me. And I would love to know if people born after, you know, 95 or after 2000, how do they react to these kind of movies? Do they have the same kind of nostalgia, enjoyment, and forgiveness that that you have, or or is there something that's kind of hard for them to, to kind of penetrate and get beyond. Well, I'm not, I mean, like, like all of these I have never seen. So there's no real like nostalgia other than for the, for the 80s. So it's more like if you can go into a film from a different time period like that and just know that going into it, they're working with under these certain guidelines, the acting at that time period might have been slightly different than what we're doing now because mm-hmm. everything's like a building block. Yeah. And if you can go in knowing that, okay, we built off, and that's kind of a fun thing to look at. Like, oh, they were doing this at this time period, and we, and they're now that built into this in the 90s, and then now to where we are currently. It's kind of, I think it's really fun to see how things have progressed. And that would be something really interesting to do in a future week. And this is possibly ambitious and would take a lot of thought. To put I together, have no more thoughts. but no more thought. <laughs> but if we started with a movie in the '60s that very clearly led to a movie that it inspired in the '70s, and then the movie that that inspired in the '80s, and just watch that, I wonder if you could track where a movie came from, and and almost, you know, taking for example a Blade Runner. What did Blade Runner begat, and what did that movie begat, and what led to? You know what I mean? <laughs> Is begat a word? Begat is definitely a word in some old-timey... Maybe I've just never heard it said out loud. (laughs) Old-timey... Yep. Old-timey writings. Begat means this guy gave birth to this guy who gave birth to this guy. I understood what you were doing, but I just... You're the English major. I totally believe you. It's just... hmm. But yeah, I... Again, that's such a baby idea. It's not fully formed at all, but it would be really interesting to track that kind of thing, to see how you get from a paper house to a pan's labyrinth. What are the movies in between there? What are the evolutionary steps? What are the missing links yeah. that get from this place 
to this place. Well, I mean, I don't know if there's there could be that, there's that direct of a line mm -hmm. where you could find those middle pieces, or it's just like that was an inspiration, and yeah. this other wild card of a film was an inspiration, and so I don't know if there's like clear. Maybe I don't know if anybody could do it, Clint. You're not some other me. podcast. You're so behind me because it's. <laughs> uh, we could. I definitely would be interesting to look into it. But yeah, I, I mean, even just, if it's a genre, mm -hmm. like not necessarily a specific film, but just like how did the genre? Yeah, like okay, let's look at science fiction and from the fifties mm -hmm. and like an alien abduction or. Um, like invasion film and how it progresses up to currently now like arrival or something and where are the points where it's just copying off of itself but then somebody comes along that really does something so significant in the genre that it launches it into a new phase yeah yeah that would probably be more doable yeah and that sounds really interesting to me too okay like you like hitchcock right oh yeah Okay, oh, yeah. so what? Where can you forgive those films? Because they I don't know. because those still have those know. same mm -hmm. not issues, but like clearly from that time period. Yeah, I I think when I discover films early on that work for me, yeah, it's the films that feel ahead of their time. And Hitchcock, while it still has some of those elements, he feels like he's constantly trying to do something that hasn't happened yet. I always I always felt like. Uh, there's some things happening in Psycho or Rear Window or even Rope where you really feel him trying to drag the audience into something that doesn't become mainstay for horror or psychological thrillers for another 20, 30 years. Yeah. And yeah, those people were inspired by Hitchcock, but it, it's interesting to me to see somebody that's ahead of their time um, rather than somebody that's constantly looking back for inspiration. Yeah, I mean, I, I really jo enjoy Hitchcock, is, but especially with, like, not to always bring up Criterion, but, mm -hmm. like, exploring that channel. And there's so many directors like that that were doing things like that, and, it, and it's really fun to... I can't think of one off the top of my head, but that were pushing things forward, and but it's just, like, maybe not as well-known as... Um, Hitchcock. And I think what it would take is something like this week where we just force ourselves to watch movies from 1988 and we discover all these things we didn't know were there. Yeah. I think it would take that in the 60s. I think if I had something like that, it would propel me into things I didn't realize were there because mm -hmm. I really have this bias and this, this kind of mental block to the movies of the 40s, 50s, and 60s. And there's things that have kind of punched through there. But it's it's taken a while, and it's been little things from time to time. It yeah. hasn't been hasn't been a lot. Hmm. The seventies is where I really start to ooh hear my hear my movies, <laughs> and in the eighties ooh here's what I grew up with. Nineties yeah. ah I was in high school for this, and you know on and on. Hmm. Uh, that's when I really start to associate life events, and I remember what was happening at the time, and oh I bet that's why these movies have this kind of theme pulsing throughout them because yeah I remember political upheaval at the time or I remember unrest or I remember that was a, a, a call I mean all that stuff was happening in those sure. films it's too. just not personal to me yeah and so it's not as readily apparent when no. I'm watching these films that oh these are filmmakers that are you know dealing with this thing in society and this is the way that they're processing through that or reflecting what's happening around them in their art uh, so maybe if I was more of a, a student of, of history, maybe yeah, that's it would be easier what's, for me to appreciate. Yeah, that's what I think appreciate. it's fun also with his films to see that 
time period, those mm-hmm. time periods in film, and like as a historical document almost mm-hmm. too. Like, I mean, it's like Mad Men, but it's actually happening, yeah. and like we're not trying to fake this era. Yeah. And uh, it's just, I think it's a really interesting like window back to that way of life and living. And the other thing I struggle with is, and I need to remember, so much of film in that era is coming from this place of theater. And theater was the primary mode of these sort of things. These were literally moving pictures, pictures of what would happen in in a theater, on the stage. And so movies still have that sensibility. And they move further and further away from that. But especially, I mentioned Rope, Alfred Hitchcock. Yeah. That's just two guys in an apartment having a dinner party. And it's tense and it's amazing. If you've never seen Rope, please find it. But it is, uh, from start to finish, something you could pull off on a stage mm-hmm. with three actors and minimal set dressing. Yeah. And it would still be just as interesting. And so if... If I remember that, it's a little easier to go back and watch that because that's what inspires a lot of the acting style. It inspires a lot of things. Mm-hmm. Um, Jimmy Stewart, I love. He's one where you can really feel a stage actor vibe too. Normally that doesn't work for me. For some reason, Jimmy Stewart is one of those. If Jimmy Stewart's in a movie, I guarantee you I probably like that movie. It's one of the movies that I like from the 40s, 50s. Mm. Uh, but if Jimmy Stewart's not there, I, I increasingly struggle the further it gets away from Jimmy Stewart. That's Jimmy Stewart. Is, <laughs> is, is your my, through line through yep, history? It's my through line. It's my crypt key. Yeah. It just he, uh, he opens the 40s and 50s for me. Well, you just have to like pretend that all those other actors are Jimmy Stewart. But they're not. Like John Malkovich style and just they're like not. put his face. No. Yeah, but there's a lot of really good no. actors and I, I really, I really enjoyed this trip down 1988. Yeah, I know I you were this might... fighting against Sinatron tooth and nail, but man, I felt like my battle was with you after Sinatron. <laughs> <laughs> I was, I was, it was a bad week. Oh, yeah, I, I was dealing with trying to figure out closures at work and a lot of things, and I was, <laughs> I, I apologize. I just, I was not in a good emotional and mental space this week. And Sinatron so, got some. Love points for me yeah, after this because yeah. I'm looking forward to some more years being okay. rolled up. Good. I yeah, I would not mind years uh, at all because this this was a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. So are we doing another roll of Sinatron this week? Yeah. All right. Maybe not a year if depends well, on uh, we'll see what Sinatron's what got Sinatron for us. Brings up. Let's do it. Buster's Mal Hart. Bust, Buster's Mal yeah. Hart? Not from uh, Arrested Development. Not by Buster. <laughs> I would watch that in a second. <laughs> Give his Buster's own movie. Mal Hart. Yeah, with Rami Malek. Okay. Uh, it's a surreal mystery film. Ooh. Where can I find Buster's Mal Hart? I think I saw it on Netflix. I okay. think it's like a Netflix thing. Okay. But Buster's it looks, Mal- I mean, it's got Rami Malek. He's always really good. Okay, yeah, he's he's a great actor. I really yeah. enjoy him. Okay, so Buster's Malhart. I'd like to, if you're game for it, check out Waves. Um, 
that we talked about oh, last week yeah, that was yeah. suggested to us. I think mm-hmm. that would be a good one, and we'll figure out other things. But yeah, let's Buster's Malhart, and we'll also watch Waves this week. Mm-hmm. And um, maybe we should just start digging up some old movies that we haven't seen and uh, doing some of those. Yeah, we can just do you know a new release on a week. But let's. I don't. I just had so much fun with 1988. For sure. Uh, once yeah. I got past my grumbly stupid. <laughs> It was it was bad. It, it was, was bad. It was a rough week. Ken was a bad person this week. Really, really. Yeah, it was a bad week. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, this has been Cinebabble episode twenty. Very special visit to nineteen eighty-eight. Time always, warp episode. Time warp. <laughs> As always, you can visit us at www.cinebabblecast.com or uh, shoot us a message at contact at cinebabblecast.com and uh, let us know what you're thinking. Otherwise, uh, you enjoy that lockdown state of affairs and uh, don't go out of your house because they'll get you. They'll get you, kids. They'll get you. If they don't, COVID 19 will. (laughs) Good night. Bye.